Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is Greg Berger, and you are listening to the Geek Cast Radio Network. Welcome to The Pull Bags. Back issue classics. Join us as we talk about comics from yesteryear, from DC, Marvel, and more. So open your ears to hear our discussion of the older continuities, as the back-issue classics are also what's in the pool bag. Meet Grimlock, not podcaster. Meet Grimlock King. Hello and welcome to The Pull Bag. This is Back Issue Classics episode 95 and uh, this is our final episode for Autobotly August. Last week you would have heard Ryan and I and Nicole Beatles Diva talk about Angry Birds Transformers and uh, this week we're going to hit the Dinobot trilogy from John Barber and Olivia Orlandelli. Um, Punishment, Redemption, and Salvation. Man. Ugh. I remember when this came out as a motion co- punishment came out as a motion comic with Made Fire. Oh boy, that was crazy. Huh. I have absolutely no- I didn't know it was a motion comic. Punishment was yeah originally. Okay. Huh. I only picked it up in the issues, of course. So these are uh, they're larger than normal issues of a comic book but much smaller than a trade a trade is yeah so they're somewhere in between uh there's supplemental info or info slash pieces in each of them i believe yeah um yeah this is a 48 page issue so it's pretty much Double normal. It's basically a double size issue of a, of a regular comic. Yeah. Um, which to me is fine because I thought this was a full like I thought this and read these before. I forgot they were one shots, not you know. I thought they were a full on trade like Autocracy, Monstrosity, and Primacy. Nope. And um, you know, I think this is really cool them doing a one shot trilogy kind of thing to focus on the Dinobots. My only thing is, in between all the Transformers stuff we've covered this year, I forgot what the fuck happened to Grimlock. Now, uh, yeah, (laughs) way back when, uh, for anyone wondering, he was incarcerated uh, for helping the... Well, actually, he stole a shuttle and he took the rest of the Dinobots and they went after Shockwave way back when, when he wasn't supposed to. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, Harley, you're not helping as usual. Uh, anyway, so he was incarcerated by Ultra Magnus eventually, many years later, and he was sent to Garrus Nine, just him. Mm-hmm. And he took the fall for everything that happened. And in the end, you know, that's in more than meets the eye is what's happened. Yeah, I remember that now. Since I then, just, so. yeah, I remember that now, now that you're bringing that up and you mentioned Garrus 9, and I'm like, oh, okay, so that's why he's not here. Um, I want to get this out of the way right now. I don't care if slag is a curse word in some other culture. I hate that, that slag is called slug. I can't stand that. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I know. Too bad. I know. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you're talking about um, uh, Optimus and Orion and all that, and, uh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, Orion packed with his original name, with his original characterization, and then he became Optimus Prime. He still has the same characterization, but I don't care. Uh, I'm still going to call the, the damn Triceratops slag. No matter what. <laughs> I'm going to try, but I'm sure I'll botch it. So. <laughs> um, to be fair with these stories, another thing, because essentially they're individual issues, they're really easy to sum up. Mm-hmm. But everything that happens in between is complicated. So, I mean, to get it, to get it out of the way, I'm just going to tell people to read these. This is a fantastic trilogy, and I kind of wish IDW would do this more often. I think... Something that might help sales is if there were, say, two ongoing series, and then you have a third one that's just sort of these every once in a while. Well, yeah, okay, so what... Um, what I, and I, think ide- and I think ideally, by the way, the two series should be Cybertron, and then, obviously, The Lost Light. Yeah. And then have the Earth stuff confined to individual issues every once in a while. Just... Yeah, yeah, that would be good. So if you, if you're gonna have three books and you're gonna have all three succeed, like you just said, have the two ongoings be Cybertron and Lost Light, whatever. Um, for the third ongoing that you're talking about with this kind of stuff, do what IDW is already doing with TMNT and now Jim coming up here in November. Uh, IDW for the longest time now it has a second ongoing for TMNT called TMNT Universe, which it pretty much lets any and all creators in, artists, writers, it doesn't matter. They have a set number of issues that are, are self-contained stories, but, you know, that kind of thing. And the new Gem series, Dimensions, is going to be an anthology series. And it's going to have two individual stories in each issue of the comic. So, if you did something like that with that third Transformers book, because they've had a third Transformers book the last few years. Sadly, none of them have really... Some, a lot of them have done well, but they haven't done as well as I think we as fans and IDW as a company was hoping, because obviously most of them got axed, or they ended. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, in the end, too, yeah, I think it would help the sales uh i don't know and you know admittedly i think one of the things that's hurt them is even though yeah i mean even though the 
Till All or One was the series that took place on Cybertron. I think there's a lot of people that are tired of or not all that interested in seeing the Transformers on Earth. As well as at this point, I mean, there's so much tie-in and everything else. Is I mean, you know, if Transformers fans, whether they're like us, they're diehards, or whether they're just general fans, to me... Even just as, like, putting aside my, you know, 30-some-odd year history with the franchise and being a fan of it, if you tell me that there's these giant robots from this planet, I want to see those giant robots on that planet. I don't want to see those giant robots on my planet in a comic. If I want to see that, I'll go waste 675 and watch a crappy Michael Bay movie. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, oh well. <laughs> I also think it keeps the writers fresh uh, mm. because this is the I would argue this is the best stuff John Barber's ever written. Yeah, we uh, we actually did these podcasts out of order, folks. This was written before um, Angry Birds Transformers was. Uh, the reason why I know that is because at the end of this, at the end of the, um, it's either the. It's either punishment or redemption, or one of the two. One of the two where John has his little afterword or letter to the fans or whatever else in it. He says, you know, this was a really dark story for me, and you know, it allowed me to, you know, eventually go and do something light and fun like Angry Birds Transformers. So I'm loving being able to see John just do what he wants to do without being tied down to whatever event thing Hasbro would like him to do. Uh, to be fair, I mean, the IDW, uh, there are conflicting reports, but for the most part, the IDW events seem to be their idea, not Hasbro's, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, I'm not privy to those meetings, so I have yeah, no idea. I, I don't know. I'm just saying, every time I see that it's, oh, it's January, February, or March of whatever year. Oh, it's IDW Transformers event. It's time and it's not because of whatever John and whoever else cooks it up. I, the reason why I say it's Hasbro is because Hasbro wants to make money off of that. And they end up making toys for this or toys for that. Or I mean, we still have Titans Returns toys going on. And the series have already rebooted at this point. But the Titans Return line is still in stores. Anyway. So, City of Steel. What could possibly go wrong? That's a terrible episode of the show. So anyway. That's the name of the story. I know, I'm just saying. It was a terrible <laughs> episode of the show. It was. Optimus lost his arm. So essentially this is what happened uh, when in the Not R.I.D. series or whatever we're calling it, the yeah. post, the season two Transformers series when Optimus Prime briefly left the group at Earth, this is the story of where he went. And we open with someone, you know, and it's all kept in shadows through this, is killing Decepticons in what is essentially, and it's referred to as the Decepticon ghetto a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, it's on the outskirts of Metroplex, uh, where Decepticons are being killed by someone. Uh, yeah. Starscream... Yeah, I mean, the Starscream just wants Optimus to leave, 
Uh, and so he doesn't say anything to him about him. It's actually Sludge that brings it up to Prime, who's visiting. Yeah. Uh, Starscream, like I said, just wants Optimus gone because Prime being there kind of it damages his power base. Yeah, and this was back when I couldn't stand Starscream. Not because, I mean, I, I always can't stand Starscream, but this is back when I didn't like his design because this was the Armada coloring and I'm I liked all his designs. I don't know, he changes them uh, constantly, which is amusing. So anyway, um, Prime eventually goes down to see what's up and see if he can find out what's happening there, and he's fairly quickly attacked by former or current, whatever you want to refer to them as. He's attacked by Decepticons, mm-hmm. and he ends up saved by Optimus, or saved by Optimus Prime, yeah. He ends up saved by Starscream. That would be a prime problem if, you know, if he was saved by himself. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Prime uh, is there. He gets saved by Starscream. Another Decepticon gets killed uh, in the vicinity of all of this. Uh, prime gives chase. He doesn't, in the end, yeah, he's not able to catch whoever it is. And yeah, so there's another murder, and the most of most of this is being investigated by Prime, Windblade, and the Dinobots are sort of keeping the peace at this point with Optimus Prime. Barricade is in this series and sort of leads the Badgeless and his Starscream's kind of police. He is also interested in figuring out who's guilty. Yeah. Of this. So Prime ends up going to one of the Decepticon bars. He's not exactly well liked there. Obviously not. And he has a conversation with Sandstorm, who is, for anyone who doesn't know, Sandstorm in G1 was a triple changer. Uh, in this, he is not particularly fond of Optimus for reasons which become much more clear later. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in any case, they have a confrontation. Optimus has a confrontation with Gut Cruncher, former Decepticon, slash current Decepticon. Yeah, I was surprised seeing a Decepticon bar. (laughs) I mean, I I figured they had them, but I mean, you know, it's either Swerves or it's or it's McAdams for me. <laughs> Blurs, yeah. yeah. Well, this was an illegal one. Uh, yeah, obviously. And the, re- and the reason Optimus goes there is that one of the cons that was killed was carrying NGX that's illegal there, and that's what the bar sells. So, mm-hmm. uh, In the end, I mean, the only real clue uh, Prime gets is from Sandstorm, who reluctantly helps and shows him a particular type of shell. Yes. And in the end, the bar is burned down with everybody inside killed with the help of these shells, which essentially are its injury rounds that burn through whatever they hit. So... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm loving this. I'm just... I just think this is just so great. And again, Livio's art. 
What I like here is how the the variant on colors, like the scene where it's uh, Sandstorm meeting up with Optimus in the, well, not meeting up, but they talk to each other in the bar and just the color on, like the aqua green color on Prime when, he's, when he says, uh, we didn't come here to debate history, gut cruncher. Just such good colors. Yeah, the art works perfectly in this. This is another one of those series that uh, really plays up Livio's strengths. Me use English good. Um, and, yeah, it helps that it matches the tone. It's this darker story, darker tone. Mm-hmm. So his artwork completely matches everything that we see going on. Yeah. And to sort of conclude, because the rest of the book is things move a lot quicker. We're actually halfway through at this point, too. So Prime and Co. continue investigating. The use of the rounds and the fact the bar was burnt leads them to believe it's the Firecons, who, in Generation 1, were a subgroup of Transformers. Uh, The Firecons are the Decepticon ones, obviously. And uh, they would create Sparks, the toys would. Um, oh. which, which, man, give kids a bunch of <laughs> yeah, things no. to create sparks. They Terrible wouldn't do idea. that today. Yeah, they wouldn't do that today. But anyway, uh, so it leads them to, to investigate them. Uh, the Dinobots and Sandstorm get sent in to apprehend them. And holy shit, they take some liberties and maul the hell out of them. Yep. Uh, nearly killing all of the suspects in the process. Optimus stops them, uh, as does the Windblade and others. But uh, Prime, at this point, seemingly starts to suspect the Dinobots. And holy cow. So he has a really good speech here. And he talks about the fact that the Dinobots, in a lot of ways, aren't any better than the Decepticons or any of the others. You know, we've had references, especially in the Wreckers, our last stand of the Wreckers slash Sins of, and in More Than Meets the Eye, that a lot of the Autobot teams have done just as many atrocities and terrible things as the DJD and the Decepticon ones. And here they reference, yeah, the Dinobots massacring a group of Decepticons, essentially for no reasons. Mm. And A, it works really well. Uh, B, it angers Slug and the Dinobots, and Slug is absolutely incensed at it, because Prime basically tells them that they should have died in the war. Yeah. Because they're relics. They can't let go of the past animosities. Prime, by the way, is not entirely inaccurate. Because, I mean, the Dinobots' depictions up to this point, they still hate the Decepticons. They still... And that's what this whole arc is about, too. They're still very much trapped in that cycle. Yep. In... Go ahead. I think my favorite part about this is when Optimus is driving down wherever he's driving and his speech there begins. Part of it is, my reputation as a leader drove me from Cybertron when the battle's, when the battle's end, a war hero is little more than a peace villain. 
That's an awesome line. And technically, it's right. I mean, you know, but um, but no, I absolutely love that. I thought that was great. Um, and the whole speech with Optimus to Slug, and and I wonder if Optimus really means this or believes this, because we find out that obviously it's it's a setup for later. Yeah. Uh, so we skip forward. Uh, and finish it off. I mean, it was essentially a setup as somebody goes to Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To kill off the Dinobots, and in the end, it was Sandstorm uh, letting old animosities get to him. Sandstorm also trapped in sort of the same cycle as the Dinobots. Mm-hmm. And you know Prime is able to subdue him. There's a really good action sequence, et cetera, here. But yeah, to close it off, I mean, the stuff with the Dinobot. I suspect Prime, like I said before, he's not wrong. I don't think he, you know, wishes they had died in the in the in the, the war. in the war, yeah. but. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine he's too happy with them either. I mean, he clearly sees they just hate the Decepticons, period. Yeah. Having said that, I mean, Prime basically uses them here, which... So, to use another series, for example, I mean, Sideswipe, I don't want to, you know, (laughs) ruin issues for other people, but... Sideswipe hates the Decepticons as well, and they take the chance and they very sort of slowly try to erase that animosity, whereas with the Dinobots, they end up getting used to sort of set a trap here. Now, having said that, I don't know that Prime had a lot of better options at this point. Sandstorm was doing a pretty good job of covering his tracks and getting away, but... Yeah, this is a. Well, I mean, this is that was the point of the series too. Is that the Autobots aren't this just the good guys, and that they do bad things or have done bad things or worse things than the Decepticons have, and the war has changed everybody, and not for the better. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. This was this is just a great book, and I. 
cannot recommend it enough. It's still fairly easy to find. I mean, it's a, they're all available on Comixology, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I'm pretty sure they're still fairly freely available at local comic book stores and that kind of thing. So, Yeah, absolutely. Punishment was great. Um, again, the reason why I know this was originally a motion comic for Madefire was because... Uh, Beatles Diva had it on her Windows 8.1 tablet or whatever, because it was a Windows-exclusive thing way back when. And uh, she would always tease Lady Wreck, like, yeah, I'm reading Punishment, and there's sounds, and there's this, and there's that, and Lady Wreck is like, that's <laughs> hilarious. Um, yeah, Punishment for being the first chapter in this, absolutely dug it. I thought it was great. Um, I think think let's see i think it's the in the next one i don't think it was in this one because we don't see blur until redemption right yeah yeah it's in redemption in redemption there's a couple of good things there uh but punishment um it was such a deep dark story and it was so cool. Like there's a, there are ways to do dark stories correctly, and John obviously knows how to do them correctly. Um, there are ways that can go wrong, and I even I was you know assuming that it was going to be Slug and the Dinobots. I was not even expecting Sandstorm at all. I mean, you know, what's John going to do? Have you know Octane come in later? No, probably not. Um, but, uh, yeah, Punishment was awesome. What would you rate this one, 0 to 5? No, 5. Absolutely, 5 all the way for me as well. I'm just going to be giving all of them a 5, because, I mean, okay. this, yeah. uh, they make up a really terrific... They're great individual issues. Mm -hmm. uh, they Obviously, they work better if you've read the earlier stuff, but they function better than most as individual issues if you you know, where to read them out of order. Mm. So, because of, you know, and then they form just a terrific story as a whole, mm. and very much sort of the redemption of the Dinobots or the changes to them because of what happens. Yeah. Absolutely. So, getting into redemption... Same crew, John Barber, Livia Romandelli, Tom B. Long on letters, and Carlos Guzman on edits. Uh, we start off with Snarl. Or not Snarl, I'm not Slag. Uh, drunk Slag, actually. Slug, but anyway. Uh, yeah, from this is also from uh, Not R.I.D. Season 2. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw the open of this. But yeah, he's getting hammered at Blur's Bar McAdams uh, and gets busted by Barricade. And I mean, he, oof. they hate, I mean, they hate Decepticons, but they hate Optimus Prime at this point, remembering the pretty awful stuff he said to them in the earlier trade. Yeah. And yeah, they all end up in jail. <laughs> yeah. I, my favorite line is when we see Blur, Serenity now, Serenity I'm like, oh, he put a Seinfeld reference in. That is hilarious. And all I can hear, I can hear John Machida Jr. in my head, Serenity now, Serenity now, Serenity just really fast. Like, wow. Uh, that's crazy. 
So after this, I mean, Barricade gives the Dinobots an offer to get them out and not to mention make some cash in the process. And to... Well, I mean, after this point, uh, the rest of the story is essentially a... You talk about pop culture references. It's Mad Max Fury Road, only Mm -hmm. as Transformers. And if you're going to make me happy or butter me up, that's a great way to do it, because that movie was absolute bliss. Uh, So, yeah, the Dinobots, uh, complete with Strafe and Barricade, are running a truck. And we don't know what's in there, nor do the... I mean, the Dinobots aren't supposed to, uh, but they do, because, yeah, they... Yeah, distract everybody, and they look inside, and it's filled with new sparks. Mm-hmm. Sparks being the essence of what uh, makes the Transformers alive. Yep. And so we continue on. They get attacked by, it seems to be, sweeps, uh, which are long dead. And, yeah, they go through... Uh, they actually run into the... Uh, Transformers that make up uh, Victorion mm-hmm. briefly. We only sort of see them, but yeah, they're not really there for to do anything. They don't attack or anything like that. So we continue on. Uh, they get attacked repeatedly. There's a lot of stuff in here that happens, but I'm sort of summing it up quickly. My favorite line is from Swoop in this whole issue. I disarmed one. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> yeah, you did swoop. When they're fighting the Badgelus. <laughs> yes. God, it's, it's hilarious. So, yeah, in the end, uh, they are confronted by the person who was in charge of everyone that's after them. And it's Bludgeon, who we haven't seen in forever. Mm hmm. And it should be noted that uh, they get contaminated uh, energon falling on them at one point. And this eventually results in Strafe becoming a new Dinobot. Which is interesting because they get back to having five again. Right. Uh, In the midst of this, Bludgeon kills uh, Barricade and stops the truck. Uh, they confront them, each other, and yeah, Bludgeon is knocked down into a pit, whatever you want to call that, into the contaminated Energon. The Dinobots, now with Strafe as a fifth member, fight off the rest, and they end up with a field of new... Cybertronian sparks, in other words, a new hotspot, which hasn't happened in four million years, it's mentioned. Yeah. And that's how we sort of close off, is the Dinobots know about this. Yeah, but are they going to tell anybody? Because that's the... (laughs) Uh, Well, in the end, I mean, we discover that Starscream knows about it, and a handful of others. Uh, But yeah, they keep it quiet. Yeah. 
because the last thing anybody needs is to restart the war. And there's some debate as to the nature of the sparks. Uh, has bludgeon corrupted them? That kind of thing. So, yep. Because I'm pretty sure that's what bludgeon would would have done if he had the time to do it. So the so again, like I've summed up the issue really quickly, but the focus on this, like you know, the story, or like Mad Max Fury Road, is the interpersonal stuff that happens in between it, and the dialogue, etc., etc. Yeah. And like that movie, this is really well done, and it's really deep, and it's well written, it looks gorgeous, again, the only issue I have is uh, some of the art or some of the action sequences are not a hundred percent clear in mm. that sort of livio way but it works in the context of this series because i mean one thing about fury road if you're going to reference it the action in that was frenetic and crazy and that kind of thing yeah now granted you could see everything but there was always so much going on that it made it complicated and that's kind of the way it works and is supposed to work in here. So it works for this issue. Mm. Issue, trade, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it does. because well, And again, it's the Dinobots. They're supposed to be frantic action with them. They're not those clear and concise and you know perfect shot characters. They're, you know, rage-filled. They're going to go off they're going you know majority of them breathe fire for crap's sake i mean come on you know <laughs> you're not gonna see slug or sludge or snarl sitting up top of a roof with a sniper rifle waiting it's just not gonna happen and you want it to not happen like that because you want to see their frenetic action um there were a couple of scenes in this where it was like what did they just do but i you know i went back and i looked through it again and i i i pretty much get all of it i you know this the second part of the story here i absolutely love it i think it's great i think it's fun i think that uh the dinobots are finally getting the character attention that they need in idw's universe um because we've talked about this before, Simon Furman loved the, the Dinobots, and he gave them all the attention he could. And that ended up probably giving us a little bit too much Dinobots than we needed. But it is what it is. And this is going to sound really bad, uh, and I don't really care. <laughs> I, would, I would argue in these three stories, we get more characterization to the four other Dinobots than Furman gave even in you know when you combine transformers uk mm -hmm. marvel era and everything else than we did in his entire run i mean yeah it just works i don't know they oof, it's crazy how much there is to each of these issues yeah, I mean, there's there's so much. You've got the whole thing with Optimus, Starscream, and Windblade. 
We didn't even really talk too much about Windblade. She doesn't have a starring starring role in this, but she's still there and, and it did a few good key points. Um, well, one know, of one of the things is it advances her disillusionment with the Transformer Cybertronian society. Yeah, because she sees that you know they can't let go of the animosity. They had this war for millions of years. All this stuff is unfathomable to her. Yeah. Being from Caminus, uh, or Canimus, whatever. Anyway, uh, and yeah, they she can't believe it, and then yeah, she sees them continue to be kind of scumbaggy. It sort of continues her disillusionment with them, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the point of her being there. And again, it works. It helps the stuff we see in season two of Robots in Disguise as well. So, I mean, it's worth reading just for that. But, I mean, they're also absolutely perfect. Uh, It's just great uh, story without all of that. Like, even if you didn't know the IDW stuff, this works pretty well on its own. Yep. Because it doesn't really tie, well, at least... The first two don't really tie too much into. I mean, they're they're in the continuity, like you said. This is the adventure that Optimus had to go on in the middle of se- the beginning of season two of Rid uh, when he had to leave Earth. Um, but that's pretty much the only tie. You let let like you were saying earlier. You know, someone could go into their comic shop or go on Comicsology and pick up these three issues. And read them as a completed whole story and, you know, you wouldn't need to read anything else. Although you should, because it is all very well done. Um, yeah, no, uh, Salvation, or not self, uh, Redemption was um, was really, really awesome. And we'll have to see what happens with Salvation coming up next after the break. These flags say you full of beryllium baloney. Me, Grimlock, say you full of cesium salami. We are back here inside the pull bag, and it is time to talk about Transformers Salvation, the third in the Dinobot trilogy, uh, here with Punishment and Redemption. Uh, as always, John Barber, Olivia Ramadelli on writing and art, with Tom Long on letters and all that good stuff. Carlos Guzman is the editor. Publisher Ted Adams for NW. And this is the final chapter of the Dinobot arc. This was interesting. Interesting. Oh, interesting ending. I was not expecting this ending. Okay. I guess we'll get there eventually. Yeah. Uh, Same sort of stuff as the other trades. The art here is really good. And I'm going to talk too much about some of the intricacies and things this time. I mean, it's the same as the others. Third part of the trilogy, and it's still really good. So, uh, getting into it, uh, it's told out of order. Yeah, so, I don't like that. Eh, I liked it. Worked well. I, just one thing. They also point out when is when, so. Well, yeah, they do, but it's like back and forth, back and forth. Uh, stop trying to be James Roberts. Please stop it. 
because he does he does that all the time. He did that in one issue of one minute that drove me nuts. The the time issue where it's like negative amount of this many minutes plus this minus I'm like, no. Don't do that. Anyway. It's fun and different. Uh, make a long story short, essentially what happens here, and I'm just going to say this in order. Uh, the Sparks... Well, oh, Jesus, what is the order? Uh, <laughs> uh, the Sparks we saw previously are missing. Yep. And in the end, for the record, it turns out Bludgeon's taken them and put them into a now-revived Crypticon. Uh, Bludgeon has sort of perfected the corrupted Energon we saw previously in the other parts of this series, as well as in Autocracy Trilogy as well. And uh, perfected in that, well, it kind of brings things back to life. Uh, so anyway, uh, Triptychon's back. Uh, we actually get him remembering things, which is interesting. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To kind of retcon his existence as a titan into things. It works really well. Uh, again, long story short, the Dinobots get involved trying to find out what happened to the Sparks. Uh, they move to go into Trypticon. Uh, as well, at the same time, they're being hunted by Sandstorm. Now, previous to entering uh, Trypticon, Slag is slash Slug, uh, and for the rest, I'll just refer to him as Slug, is killed by Sandstorm, which was kind of surprising. Yeah, that's. Uh, what's, I know. What's surprising about that is his line. I put this on Facebook once and I wrote the line. I always knew being a dinosaur. Oh, damn. Anyway, so, uh, I mean, he's not a huge character, but he's been their leader since Grimlock's been gone. And, yeah, he's killed by Sandstorm, who was sent by Starscream to see what was happening. And Sandstorm should be completely 100% noted. So I've read Barber write The Punisher now. But Sandstorm's clearly meant to be the Punisher in this. <laughs> yeah, he's he got is. the internal monologue. He's even got the Autobahn insignia on his chest. Uh, so it's a hundred percent clear. But anyway, see, so yeah, Slug, uh, Slug is killed. Uh, the Dinobots, uh, with Devastator's help, were able to enter Trypticon. They confront Bludgeon. Now, earlier, Snare, the newest Dinobot, confronted Bludgeon single-handedly. The rest arrive later. And in the end, they're able to... Really, I mean, all that happens is they break Trypticon free of Bludgeon's influence, 
and Trypticon kind of takes it upon himself to completely obliterate Legend. What I uh, love about this is um, in the early part of this, you mentioned where it's, it's Devastator helping them fight Trypticon. Devastator looks like a freaking mouse compared to uh, uh, oh, yeah, Trypticon. A combiner can't fight a Titan. Uh, as what? Doesn't there has absolutely no chance. I mean, Metroplex would kick them around. By the way, there's some scale issues here because previously Devastator was a little taller, actually quite a bit taller compared to Metroplex. Uh, this is more in scale with what it should be because uh, the Titans are humongous. Anyway, uh, Tripsy gets rid of. Legend uh, goes briefly goes off planet and lands back down with a thud, to put it mildly. Turns out the sparks are all inside Trypticon. They're reactivated. Uh, something begins growing, which is the culmination of everything that's now inside Trypticon. And uh, New Transformers begin growing inside him, where the remaining alive Dinobots, now down to four of them, are with Sandstorm. And that's about it. Our ending is Bludgeon survived, although he's not exactly in great shape. He's in horrible shape. Um, he's barely alive. And... Starscream is talking about the idea that, well, there's a bunch of uh, mutated sparks from the, well, one, left from Legend Sweeps that he used earlier in this series, not to mention in the second issue, and, you know, starts considering combining the remaining spark with the deceased corpse of uh, Slug. My favorite line between Starscream, I think her name is Strafe, one from yep. the Gaminus. Um, she says, we weren't born into war. Uh, he says, says the girl with the Decepticon symbol to the boy who gave these up. Yes. I think that's just a really great line from Starscream. Also Swift, but anyway. Swift. The other one I like is Snoopy as a Bugs Bunny meme. <laughs> oh, Doc, what's up? Hello. <laughs> um, yeah, I was not expecting this story to be. Uh, I don't know what I was expecting out of this. Um, Even though he's not a main character, I definitely wasn't expecting Slug to be killed. Yeah. Um, he is the leader of the Dinobots. And, yeah, I'm curious what the end result's going to be. Uh, I mean, the mutated sparks didn't do the sweeps any good. Not that they they were depicted as pretty much mindless anyway. But, uh, I mean, I'll just assume that, you know, it works and it brings him back. I can't imagine Slug's going to be the same. 
learn nothing from the race I'll do in the last episode and never the same. <laughs> Even though race is pretty much the same each time. But anyway. Well, yeah, his, his madness gets worse each time he needs to get to the I mean, sort of. It depends on... At least in BTS. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed this. I thought this was fun. I didn't think we were going to see Sandstorm again. <laughs> I thought he was just going to sit in prison for God knows how long. Um, honestly, I miss Grimlock with the Dinobots. Which I think is the idea, to have him, uh, have him away this long at this point. Because it's like, a, you know, I mentioned it before, uh, but the Dinobots got overused between Marvel US, Marvel UK, really heavily using them, and then Furman's initial run was reasonably Dinobot heavy as well. So it was fine to kind of remove him, and I mean, he was a main character in the animated series quite frequently as well, so it didn't bother me that, didn't bother me that much that he's been gone. But yeah, there is part of me that uh, I wanted to see him back in the reaction to Slug slash Slags leading the Dinobots. I was curious about that, not to mention the fact that with him at the helm, and he in particular can't kind of leave the war behind at all. Grimlock. No, Slug, yeah, Slug hasn't yeah. been able to. Yeah. Uh, Grimlock probably could. I mean, he learned a lot before he was imprisoned, and now he's kind of, well, now he's with a group of Decepticons, and he seems to actually want to be there uh, during his times when he's not speaking nonsense or when he's able to speak, and not to mention he had the chance to leave them, he decided to stay with them, so. I mean, it's just one of those things, but yeah, you're right, they did get overused, I have not read a lot of that stuff, so luckily I was not bogged down by that. Hence why I say I kind of miss him being with them. You know, if you look at uh, Meredith Scott's run, um, she and Mike Johnson did Rage of the Dinobots. That's one specifically. I think the Dinobots work in IDW Transformers in little sporadic miniseries kind of things where you know, they have their own. Because the Dinobots have never really been, never in any continuity whatever you want to say, T1, whatever. They've never really been a full part of the Autobots. They're with the Autobots, they have the Autobot symbols and all of that and everything else, but they're not... Yeah, You're, 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 you're not going to see the Dinobots inside the Ark, you know, sleeping inside Teletrain 1's recharge chambers. It's just not. Um, so I think that they work better if it's one-off kind of stories that still tie into the overall uh, I think the characters can work in the ongoing, but yeah, it's been a while since that's happened, and you know the whole idea though is you want your audience to actually want to see them meet up slash see them back. So it's obvious something's going to happen with Grimlock, by the way, uh, before the end of this season of Lost Light, just because he was in Drift's vision. What? Uh, I don't know. I never, never really got, got the hang of that character. 
Drift's a good character in More Than Meets the Eye and Lost Light. Drift was a not good character under his invention by that and his invention by Shane McCarthy in general as well. And then in the Costa run, too, we just... He, uh, I mean, he... Yeah. <laughs> he just never worked as a character. And in the initial stuff with McCarthy, I mean, we're talking about a series where basically none of the characters worked all that well, nor were they written with any sort of consistency in All Hail Megatron. And Anyway, we're getting way off yeah, topic. Yeah, into this, yeah. Although, to be fair, I summed this up pretty quickly uh, as well, but I kind of had to because of the jumping. I didn't want to do page by page and go, and this happened earlier. Um, You go back to this point. You go forward to the end. Yeah, but I think it worked in sequence of this. The other thing that surprised me uh, and delighted me, and I mentioned this last time around, or during the, sorry, during our review for the Autocracy trilogy, and that is, Trypticon in this is his tech specs version, essentially. So he's not the groaning, can only speak, you know, a couple words version in the animated series. He takes after the intelligent Trypticon that he was supposed to be in the tech specs. So I liked that. I much prefer, I don't like the idea that if a Transformer is big, he's got to be dumb. That's one thing that always bugged me in the animated show, that as soon as a Transformer is large, unless it's Computron, they're an idiot. That's a function of those Canadian movies around now. He was pretty dumb. He never strung together more than a sentence. And again... And he spoke in that slow, deep voice. Honestly, at this point, Yeah, and I really like, well yeah, I like that he's reasonably intelligent in this too. It's just he's not happy with the Transformers, or I should say, the Cybertronians as a race, and just chooses not to speak with them because he, yeah, like I said, he's really not happy with the fact they were at war forever and all of the things they've done to the point that he ended up leaving Cybertron or having to leave Cybertron. And, you know, Magnus mentioned, or it was mentioned to Magnus that, yeah, he can speak to them. He chooses not to because they don't deserve it. So, (laughs) he, yeah. And that's also why he won't tell them about the Knights of Cybertron or anything else. He's clearly not happy with them. And, yeah, I just, I, like I said, I was really surprised that Trypticon was. Because even in the comics, he wasn't, he could speak in sentences in the old Marvel G1 comics. But he wasn't that sharp, and in this, he's seems to be fairly intelligent. So that's what I like about Metroplex Trypticon. Yeah, Metroplex Trypticon. Any of the Metroplex Trypticon that we've seen thirty plus years ago. It's thirty years ago this year since the series ended. More than that since it began. And it's one of those things where that was then, this is now. There's no reason. As long as, for me, when it comes to Metroplex and Trickicon and all that, as long as they have the look of the G1 character, 
you can characterize them any way you want in my mind. Well, they seem, is they seem to follow, yeah, they seem to follow the tech specs more than the animated show, which I'm okay with, because, I mean, they're still following something. But, yeah. you know, De Devast and it also makes sense, because, I mean, Devastator and Monstructor were both dumb as a post, because they were experiments, and it was before they sort of knew slash renew, relearned, there we go, how to make combiners again, not to mention had the Enigma uh, uh, combination, yes, whatever, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> the new Matrix! <laughs> the, but yeah, it was before they had them, so they're not sort of natural combiners. Uh, my favorite panel for this entire book from Salvation is the one uh, close to the end where I believe it's Swoop flying towards uh, flying towards Trypticon where he says it stopped. I love what Livio did with the bluish sky background and Trypticon's kind of in shadow and his eyes. And I just I love that's my favorite image of this. We get a lot of his backgrounds in this, and sometimes, I mentioned this in Combiner Wars and some of the ones I wasn't huge on his art, sometimes it blurs together. In this, the colors and everything seem to pop, and it's, it's weird because there's a couple sequences, there's only a couple where I had difficulty kind of making out that it was bludgeon, this is near the end of what happened. Um, but it, for the most part, it's quite clear. This is some of his, again, it's some of his best work. And I think partially because a lot of the sequences inside Trypticon, there's sparks around. There's a lot more light than usual, yeah. than he usually depicts. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, uh, the artem is near flawless. It's really easy to tell what's going on. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's my imagination too, but I'd also argue it feels like the Dinobots are drawn a little more light, which I think is, is it kind of matches the story as they kind of find their redemption or their salvation. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, that's the idea of this trilogy. And so I think, I think that was intentional too, that Livio is helping tell the story through his artwork, which obviously is what you're supposed to do as an artist, but he doesn't yeah. hear... He does it here better than I'd say he has before. Like, it feels like he's getting better as time goes on, which is not surprising, but I mean, he was quite good to begin with, even when he debuted, so. I mean, you know, you look at a lot of these panels close to the end of this, this uh, side issue, uh, where it's scenes of the Dinobots, where it's, um, where it's Trypticon's um, monologue, uh, you know, they are bright because most of them are gray and red, or orange, yellow, and red, or something. They're they're not the dark blues, purples, yeah. things like that. Like, but it's almost a it's a very yeah. sort of light gray at this point. Whereas yeah. previously, especially you know, go back and read the early stuff in the series, it was always the dark gray and in shadow. And again, I think it's intentional and it's really smart. It's I really like what he's done in this series. So. I'm looking at the page, the panel right where uh, it says, uh, uh, and the protoforms emerge and generation ends. What do we do now? Sweet asks. 
if you if you're on Comixology and you move forward in that panel, if you're using the guide view, it splashes out a splash page of all four of them. Snoop is the only one out of the four of them that really has mostly dark gray on his body. Like, not his wings, but just like his shoulders, his chest, his stomach. He's got like, the red things on his knees and things like that. The only other one that's uh, slightly darker, but he had... You're right, the grays are not as dark as they used to be, which is a really, really good thing. Yeah, uh, so in the end, I mean, sum it up. First of all, this story tells a pretty coherent story. Like, we had the introduction of Trypticon to this saga here in the third one, but it still makes sense. You know, he didn't appear in the second one. The second one, we had the debut of the Sparks and uh, Strafe and some of the other story elements. But again, it didn't feel like it came out of left field. And the first one, oddly enough, mostly focused on Optimus Prime, or rather, he was sort of the central character. But again, it never felt out of place that we kind of segue into the Dinobots being the main characters, and just everything in this worked really well. I Again, I'd say this is Barber's best stuff. I think it's Livio's best artwork, and the two of them combine to make... I feel like even if you're not familiar with the IDW universe, it's a really good trilogy of books to read. I don't think it... it Obviously, it helps a whole lot if you're familiar with it, but I, I think they'd work just as a series of comics for pretty much anybody. Like I said, these are three one-shots that tell the full story that, to me, are the uh, obvious kind of central in the first part, but um, they were on Cybertron. Like you said earlier in this podcast, that, you know, this was the story of why Optimus left Earth in X-Rid, not Red Forever. You know, so that doesn't bother me at all because the rest of the first, the rest of Punishment was over the Dinobots and Redemption and Salvation was all over the Dinobots. And again, having them center stage in their own kind of thing that is and is not, it's tied into the overall IDWG continuity, but it's, you don't have to read 25 30 comics to get this three-issue arc. Yeah, uh, and I think, you know, obviously you're going to be more familiar with the characters and probably feel a little more when yep. something happens, like, you know, Slug Not being killed or uh, Barricade or some of the other things that's happened to them in this, but yeah. Um, so, that's I mean, we... That's one okay. thing I liked about this, is that they actually... Every time I've seen Barricade, Yes, he's a cop car, but he doesn't really do anything with like they don't portray him as a police officer. He's just a cop car. And this series portrayed him as a Cybertronian police officer. I like that we finally finally get actual characterization for this guy. He's not just are you ladies man two two one. Yeah, and we mentioned this before when we got off on a tangent in one of the other shows, and that is that I think 
IDW as a whole works better when they do these kind of one-shot stories versus having three ongoings. And, and yeah, I don't have any issues with that, too, because, I mean, I like the... I like, I really liked each of the three ongoing series. I'm sad to see it go, but it just... I don't know, I really like these one-shots, and it gives the authors the chance to work with different characters and or work outside of the universe and do something different or have something that has a different feel to it. Right. Like, this feels different than anything Barber's done, and he's done dark stories, especially, you know, lately in Optimus Prime, but this just, it feels very much unlike all of his other Transformers work. That's honestly a really good thing. Like I said, this allowed this and uh, the autocracy trilogy allowed John to tell a story without being hindered by having to throw in six combiners or throw in you know the dark side of, of, of Cybertron's moons or whatever. You know, this allowed him to actually write a story that he wanted to write that he wanted to tell. I mentioned it already earlier, you know, like you said, this was the story that we didn't get to see in Rid because it just wasn't a fit for Optimus City and New Life Cybertron. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that really, really works well. Um, and to be fair, by the way, you mentioned, you know, some of the time switch and that kind of thing uh, being confusing to you. Imagine if they had tried to write that in while stuff was happening on Earth in the Transformers series. And that's the other reason. You know, you can tell stories away from your main characters. Roberts does that, and a lot of people complain about it. (laughs) Uh, Like when he goes off with the DJD, uh, or more notably, when he rejoins the Scavengers, when they go off. So... My only this, thing with that is... a little is, easier for it. Yeah, the only thing with that when it comes to Roberts is as long as I've kept up with it, and like I've already said, I haven't had any thoughts about Roberts trying to have any adventures. Um, but, you know, during what meets the eye, as long as I saw any number of the Lost Light crew within five or ten pages of the comic, I was fine. Uh, what would you rate Salvation? Uh, I'm going to stick with it. It gets the, you know, five stars. It, it's, the series as a whole is not perfect, but it just works really, really well in its entirety. And individually, I think they also read really well. I, you know, I struggle to, you know, my negatives are nitpicky, struggle to find anything. I'm like my constant complaining, usually. Uh, <laughs> Said it nothing. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, I, I'm gonna give it a four and a half. Uh, there wasn't really anything that I didn't like, but I'm hoping that John gets to do more stories not necessarily like this, but outside of the Optimus Prime stuff. And again, I haven't read Optimus Prime yet, so I don't know how different that is from you know the first couple of seasons of Great X Rid and all that. So. Love to see what's what's going to happen there. Anything else you want to bring up before I close it out? No, I mean I'm still 
again, you know, I've said it before, I think this is a good way to get your authors and writers some leeway and, you know, to do stuff or to do stuff with characters or tell stories that they can't normally in the other series. I got to admit, you know, I really want to see where Barber goes with this story. But alternatively, I think it's nice that, you know, he gets to take a break and return to what he did beforehand. So, you know, again, I think it's a great way to recharge the batteries and I hope they continue with it. Absolutely. All right, folks, coming up uh, next month uh, in September, we're going sewer surfing. That's right. All month, Joe Reed's going to join me and we're going to talk TNT comics from IDW. We're going to talk about issues 65 and 66. And then in another episode, we're going to talk issues 67 and 70, which is the desperate measures arc of the ongoing. And after that, we've got TMNT Universe, number 1 through 5, and then 6 through 10. Uh, the next time, we're going to talk Transformers, um, the Angels, Amy, Nicole, and Heather will be with me in February of 2018. We're going to be talking about the Ringblade Distant Stars trade, which we should have done years ago, but whatever. Uh, it's, you know, it is what it is. Then we'll talk about the Two All at One series as well, and then Ryan will be back. Uh, February is probably going to be the earliest I can get from Lost Light. So. And the Windblade series, too, is another example of that, though. Like, especially Distant Stars, I loved it because it gave them the chance to go to new places and explore different things that they don't get to. So. So yeah, join us for Formers February 2018, and then after that, I have no clue what's going to happen. So that'll be the next time we talk Transformers. Like I said, next month is, is TNT, which they just, as of this recording, they just hit a milestone. IDW Publishing it has the longest running TNT series because they hit 73 issues. I know for a fact, because Bobby Kernow, the editor, has told me several times, they have their main teams ongoing planned out to issue the Rockets. So, congratulations to them, the entire team over at IW. Um, Will they break the Archie Comics uh, record with Sonic, which is now static because, you know, they lost the, or the license is now changed to IDW? I'm not sure. I'm going to tell you on that. Oh, yeah, it'll take even to <laughs> I mean, unless they're going to release a comic like once a month, well, instead of once a month, do it once a week. But I don't yeah. that, that will burn out for writers or artists at all. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, where can people find you online, sir? At Nightbeat on Twitter. I'm at TFG and Mike on Twitter. You can follow at The Pullbag on Twitter. Also follow at Geekcast Radio on Twitter. Visit the website, geekcastradio.com. Make your great escape to comics and uh, join us next month as we dine on some turtles. But wait, folks, there's more. That's right, TFU and Mike here, and this final episode of Autobotly August, where Ryan, the Uneven Flow Merkley, and I talked about the Dinobot trilogy from IDW. Punishment, Redemption, and Salvation is not exactly over because we're going to tease you with what's coming up in September for the pullback. It's going to be Sewer Surfing September with myself along with Joe Reed. Hello, Joe. Hello. Hello, yes. 
And the reason why we're here, besides giving you a preview of what Sewer Surfing September is going to be, is we wanted to talk about Kevin Eastman's uh, Drawing Blood Volume 1 and graphic novel. The Kickstarter has gotten funded as of this recording. Whoop, whoop. Are, yes, as of this recording, there are 41 hours to go, but it has been funded. If they reach the 100k stretch goal, you will get um, some sort of Ronin the, rabbit. The, oh gosh, the, how do, how, the uh, radically rearranged Ronin raggles, number one. So if, if you haven't been following the Kickstarter, if you're not aware, this is a fictional uh, story of a fictional uh, a comic creator who went through a very similar story to what Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird did in creating these these characters they show Shane Bookman the creator creates with his brother these uh, radically rearranged Ronin ragdolls it's a black and white comic they get huge they have movies and licensing blah 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 and uh, then it gets a little crazy and I think uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to hear that story about how that goes semi-autobiographical but definitely fictionalized um, and so the but the, the bonus of this hundred point or hundred thousand uh, dollar stretch goal is that you get the actual comic, the finger quotes in the air wagging comic that they created their number one issue, which is kind of cool. I'm hoping they make it because I'm a backer and I hope you guys are backers, too, because Kevin Eastman uh, will do something cool. Ben Bishop uh, is doing the art yeah. in the book. And uh, I think Kevin Eastman is, is kind of conceiving of it and, and outlining it. Uh, but uh, David Avalone, am I right on the first name? I, I there? think um, so, yeah. Yeah, David Avalone, that's right. Um, uh, is writing it and probably doing the scripts for it. So I think you, you've got three really rocking people on board uh, uh, with this book. And it's, it's, it's going to be fun, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely, friggin' lutely. It's gonna be awesome. Um, even though the Kickstarter campaign will be over by the time this episode of the Pullback goes up, um, I think uh, I will still put a link to it so you guys can see what it is in the in the show notes for this episode of the Pullback. And uh, this has changed since the last time we recorded this thing. But oops, that was the wrong button. Uh, but we have uh, what's coming up in September for the pullback. Sewer Surf in September. Joe and I are going to return to the TMNT IDW universe for a while. Uh, in episode 151, we talk about issues 55 and 50, 50, 55. Wow, we already did that. 65. Yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I was going to say, wait a second here. We already did that. 65 and 66. Episode 152 of the pullback will be 67 to 70, which is the Desperate Measures arc. Uh, episode 153 will be 71 and 72, so only two issues in that because that is the Pantheon storyline for the the evil family, Rat King, Kitsune, and all of that. Um, Some other fan favorites that are in the back, not in the background, but they've been from mm, previous comics. We get to see him again. Yep teasing yep episode 154 and joe doesn't know this because like i said this changed since the last time we talked about this we're gonna wait on universe because i i keep putting that off but like we're so stuck in the in the core title at this point but episode 154 will be the five issue miniseries tmnt dimension x woot woot 
Uh, this has been a uh, that's been a five. Uh, I think every issues come out once a week, yeah, kind of in order. We're getting the whole thing in event. one. Yep. 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 And uh, that's been that's been a lot of fun. I've been reading that too. Absolutely. And then episode now this episode numbering has nothing to do with um with the numbers or how the episode's going to be, but episode one fifty four point five will be TMNT issues seventy three to seventy five. Because that is going to be the trial of Krang. Now, uh, 73, they hit it. And Woo-hoo! 74 and 75, <laughs> they surpassed it. IDW now has the longest running Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic series ever. Unbelievable. And it, it, it's, it's amazing how, what, the, 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 how it feels to me. How, how, yeah, Volume 1 and yeah, the Archie series. Those books seem to have so much time. I'm spread out over their 70 issues mm-hmm. uh but uh idw i mean it's packed it is packed full of story and it's only maybe been six months to a year in turtle time in the idw universe which is amazing yep. it's absolutely it's just it's beautiful beautiful writing the pacing's great uh the the way the arcs are broken up so that you get those lovely trade paperbacks every so often it's just it's been a spectacular way to do it uh and i'm i'm over the moon for them having reached 73 with no slowdown in sight and also no renumbering in sight so i'm very very happy for that too i think that's the cool thing about idw and the turtles book along with tom waltz and kevin eastman and bobby kernow and all of the artists not just mateus santaluco but all of them over the last you know four or five years they've done things to where the ongoing doesn't have to be rebooted or doesn't have to be renumbered because the ongoing is one full long story and then if they need to do side stories or other stories that you know they've got the they've got the micro series that they did they've got uh all the one shots like you know turtles in time bebop and rocksteady casey and april um mutanimals they, they do all these mini series now and of course, now you do have TMNT Universe, which we will be getting to at some point. Um, you know, uh, and then that's a whole other ongoing series for them, but it leaves the core title to be whatever these creators want it, you know, whatever direction they want the story to go into. Mm-hmm. And the sales on Turtles must be, I mean, it must be good. And it it shows incredible faith in the writer, editor, and artists to not force them to renumber it. Because we all know they renumber things because people buy number ones. Mm -hmm. Sales must be good. And they're they're also, I think there's a faith in the property, uh, knowing that uh, uh, people know the Turtles, that they could jump on. And IDW and Bobby and everybody has done a super job of having the free comic book day be what you need to read to get caught up with the very next issue of the book. And it's everything you need to know to be, you know, perfectly fine reading uh, uh, the next issue and picking it up from there. And then they do those wonderful trade paperbacks that make it so easy. And at least once a week, I see somebody on the internet who said, Hey, I picked up trade paperback one through five and I'm about to ready to get caught up with this. And mm-hmm. they're, they're doing a spectacular job. Absolutely. So that's what's coming up here in the pull bag uh, for Sewer Surf in September in 2017. Uh, make your great escape into comics, and we will catch you next time, folks. No woot that time. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said it enough during the show. Yeah. No woot no for you. Uh... No woot for me.
You've just heard the latest episode of The Pull Bag, the GCRN's comic review and discussion podcast. There are several ways to get in touch with us and leave feedback for the show. You can visit the website, geekcastradio.com, where you can comment on the episode in all of our different podcasts. You can rate our show on iTunes. Be sure to leave us feedback. Call the voicemail line, 502-526-5821. Please remember to tell us the show you're leaving the message for, and your name. Become a fan of us on Facebook by searching Geekcast Radio Network. Send us an email feedback at geekcastradio.com. Follow us on Twitter at Geekcast Radio. So until next time, make your great escape into comics and unleash the geek in you.